And I think looking back, they felt like they hadn't owned that de- decision maybe to be committed to their local church and they may have felt that we were just expecting them to be committed. And so it was good for us to hear that maybe we needed to start again and so we did and for two years we actually maybe it wasn't quite that long but for quite a long time we actually said let's not have commitments anymore because it doesn't sound like it's relevant anymore but interestingly after a couple of years of not having commitments we decided actually it is a good thing to to express the fact that we're reconciled to God and reconciled to each other and being committed to other Christians in the local church doesn't say we're not committed to other Christians because of course we've got all these other healthy relationships with other people of different ages in our church and also outside of our church. So that was a a really powerful moment but it was also really painful as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sock Absorber podcast. We're on to the next episode and I'm here with Stu, the main man, lead pastor of Soul Revival Church. How are you? G'day, Joel. I think you're the main man too. Oh, maybe. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you in the end of this podcast. I think. <laughs> um, we are back. We're back with another episode and um, today... We're going to have a look at another movie, and usually when uh, we think about movies, Stu, it's usually your one is really applicable to what we're talking about, and the one that I think about is really just something to do with me, so I'm just selfish. Uh, <laughs> um, but you've got you've got one for us, 10 Things I Hate About You. Why have you picked this one to for this particular episode? Well, one of the things I like about 10 Things I Hate About You is that it's a another teen movie, so it sort of fits with our theme, I suppose, as we're looking at youth ministry. You like teen movies, by the way. I do. I think they're fun. And also, this teen movie was uh, one that came out in 1999, so it was at the end of the 90s, and it was really... Uh, the beginning of kind of the well, I suppose it was the last of the '90s sort of genre, and it was sort of in my in my thinking, I, the way I've appropriated the movie is it's sort of like setting the stage for the 2000s, which is what we're going to talk about today. Okay, and so what were the themes that you've got out of that that you think are kind of applicable to what we're talking about? We're we talking about kind of crossing over from the '90s to the 2000s. What was coming out of that time? Yeah, well, I think in an earlier episode we talked about The Breakfast Club, which was a decade beforehand. But what I like about the uh, 10 Things I Had About You movie is that it's actually bringing a lot of the same themes from that uh, teenage angsty kind of movie into uh, a more contemporary context. And I suppose in future podcasts it'd be fun to, to look into the, f- into the future from beyond 10 Things I Had About You, to like look at some maybe contemporary teen movies. Uh, you might even want to think about this as I share some of these themes to think about teen movies that you might be aware of from the 2000s or the teens or even the some. there's already some more movies coming out in the 20s. <laughs> but the um, the themes from 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, things like individualism and reputation, like one of the main characters, Kat, she's uh, really into saying you don't have to be who they want you to be. And uh, there's also themes about popularity and fitting in uh, again, Kat says things like, you you know, what people say about you is not always right. You can actually discover who you are. Uh, there's a lot of stereotypes in the movie, the same as The Breakfast Club and lots of other teenage movies. You know, there's the sportos, there's the there's the academics, there's the people who don't have friends, there's all those sort of things. And, the goths. And underlying, yeah, the goths, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And there's a lot of fun they have with that. And underlying all of it, there's this whole thing about authority and rebellion. And what's really interesting about 10 Things I Hate About You is it's an adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew from William Shakespeare. So that's a, know that. another level to it for okay. people who are interested in that connection. What is The Taming of the Shrew about? I haven't read that. 
Oh, it's it, well. Watch ten things that yeah. I hate about you, and that's a good starting point. But the idea is that there's there's um, interesting issues and other themes around, um, you know, the roles of men and women play in society, and and it's just really interesting that Cat is really confident and really strong minded, but then she gets stereotyped in certain ways. But then the movie sort of helps you to understand kind of what Cat's been saying that. Uh, you know, you don't have to be who people say you are. So there's a big theme about that. That's something that we've talked a lot about in terms of how Saw Revival has grown and how that's kind of um, helping people to discover their real identity in Jesus rather than, mm. <coughs> excuse me, um, rather than, you know, trying to fit within a picture that society makes them, force, forces them into. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think as Christians since the 70s, we've been really tempted to think that if we have a culturally relevant expression of church, then people will have less cultural um, bridges to cross and they'll be able to just listen to the gospel in the context that they understand it. So if I can be a surfer to the surfers, then they might be able to be able to access the gospel a bit easier. Or if I can be a punk to punks, as you know, as people used to say, uh, computer gamer to computer gamers. But one of the things that's interesting, though, is if, if we try too hard to be culturally relevant, we can actually uh, not express our identity as Christians as clearly maybe uh, as we could so I think yeah that that's, that's a good thought like because in the movie it's kind of like who, you know how do you be who you are in the midst of the, the community that you're in yeah I think yeah. that's a good point no, I think that um, that was one of the reasons why that I really enjoyed being part of Soul Bible because it was helping me to do that mm. and, you know Jesus is giving us an identity it's helping us express yeah. that um, and, and of course we were the culture we were and we are the culture we are yeah. in the Sutherland Shire but at the same time we're Christians first and we're all those things second yeah yeah okay so we, last episode we talked about uh, moving from the 90s to the th- 2000s involved um, creating a few like outside of the local church movements and um, you met with people from South Australia, Aboriginal guys, the, um, the we're training down in Tasmania. Training was another important thing in mm. terms of in terms of yeah, the local church sure. that yeah, you sure. know you were doing a shock absorber within the shock absorber context. Mm. As we always like to ask, what was the next kind of step after that? You're kind of um, moving on into the 2000s now. What what are you planning? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that was still front of mind for me was that book that I'd read to start off with, The Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry. And in that book, Mark Center says that that uh, that grassroots expressions that are successful actually start to look for principles that can be transportable. So you're right, some of those relationships we're having with other churches were partly conversations around uh, what what can we learn from other churches, like what principles are they using that are transferable to us but also in this experiment that was so revival as we were looking to experiment with new ways to tackle problems like consumerism individualism and transience what were some of the principles that maybe other contexts might be able to explore as well so in the 2000s i think there was a really big theme of looking for principles that we were you know if if the first 10 years was experimenting with youth ministry the next 10 years for us was really trying to work out and refine what principles were not only transportable for other contexts but transportable from the 90s into the 2000s i suppose so what what is the legacy of that experiment for us the center said that youth adapted to change with new ideas and he used the sunday school as an example mm. how, how if you're reading that how are you seeing that applying it to your current that that context at the time yeah so if you remember earlier podcasts we talked about how mark center is a prominent thinker in youth ministry and he was quite clever in taking uh one of the classical 
sociologists, a guy by the name of Max Weber, and using his theories to apply it to youth ministry. And Max Weber's theory was that often new ideas come from grassroots expressions. And often there's a charismatic leader who starts with a new idea to solve a problem or create a new response to change. And when I say charismatic leader, I just mean someone who has the personality and the ideas to be able to gather other people around them. So this charismatic leader will come up with a new idea. And then uh, Max Weber argues that the people who gather around that new idea, uh, Weber calls them bureaucrats, people who are actually able to take the new idea and look for principles that can be transportable uh, so that the idea that was working in a small context can work across a broader context and what was really interesting about Center's analysis was that he took Max Weber's idea and he applied it to the first modern youth ministry which is the Sunday school which again we talked about in earlier podcasts but basically the Sunday school was uh, invented at the end of the the uh, 1700s in the 1790s, people like Robert Rakes were experimenting with new ways of doing youth ministry in the absence of villages because before the Industrial Revolution, people primarily, 75% of the population of England, let's say, lived in villages. But then in the Industrial, Industrial Revolution, there was all these manufacturing hubs set up in cities and there was a mass migration from the villages to the cities. And when all these people went to the cities, there weren't enough local parish churches to look after all these burgeoning populations. And as a result, there was a lot of children that were living in those cities that were growing up, up without God and they weren't being taught. So Rakes came up with this great idea. He was a charismatic leader. He came up with an idea to solve that problem and the idea was a Sunday school. So he said, why don't we start... Uh, a meeting in my house with the local kids who are just walking around doing nothing on a Sunday morning and I'll teach them how to read and write using the Bible. Now, uh, a number of uh, prominent people thought that was a great idea and they transferred that idea into what they called the Sunday School newspaper. And that newspaper took the principles of what Robert Rakes was doing and then said, well, if you do X, Y, Z, this is how you start a Sunday School. And within 15 years, there was a Sunday School that had started in Parramatta the first Australian Sunday school starting Parramatta uh, in the early colony of, of Australia at Parramatta uh, Anglican Church and it was it was being run along the same kind of principles as that original Sunday school that Rakes and others like him had set up in England. So the, the thing that was going through my mind was that Soul Revival had been a great fun experiment and wouldn't it be really interesting to sort of unpick it a little bit and look for what are some principles that are something that if uh, it worked in one context those principles might work in other contexts and like I said not just outside of Guy Anglican Church but how could the principles from the first 10 years of Soul Revival translate into the second decade of Soul Revival because there was a brand new bunch of young people as I said 1999 was was a bit of a you know a movie there 10 things i had about you that was signaling the end of one era to another era in my mind and so we needed to think about what principles do we carry with us into the next decade and what do we leave behind so were you a little bit you and the leadership group a little bit fearful of being becoming institutionalized and not really um, taking advantage of the, the the good and positive things that had come out of what you'd done in the past kind of 10 15 years yeah well that's a really good question because one of the problems with this whole process that Max Weber has identified is in order for an idea to grow and spread across a lot more people or, or people who weren't connected to the original group, then 
it needs to institutionalize. So it needs to have those principles that people could go, well, if I do X, Y, Z, then I can actually do this in a different context, whether it be a different decade or a different church. And so the problem with that, though, is if we disconnect the ideas from their original passion and from their original creative genesis or the problems that they were solving, then it can become a little bit like a rule book and it can be just like a manual that rigid. people have. It's rigid, it's not relational. Yep. So our fear was how do we take ideas like the commitments, take ideas like you know being in a, a group of other Christians at our local church and beyond our local church, how do we take ideas of doing things together, how do we take ideas of servant-heartedness and how do we take ideas of, hey, it's a good idea to, to really invest for a long-term, low-key, relational ministry? How do we take those ideas and bring them into another decade? Then what are you doing? So, like, is that where you started to for really formulate your ideas around the shock absorber? Like, that actually, we need something to ensure that we don't become rigid and institutionalized. Yeah, one, one idea we played around with was how do we institutionalize relationships rather than institutionalize the ideas too. So a big part of our thinking as those of you who've listened to some of the podcasts previously will know that we're really, really influenced by Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 and not to reduce the whole of the Bible down to one verse, but that idea that Jesus was really pressed on what is the most important thing and he said that the most important thing is to love God and love others and so holding on to that and making that a foundational idea was really helpful as we thought about not institutionalizing into just some group of principles but at the same time trying to find those principles that are helpful for others uh, we thought relationships are going to be important our relationship with God that we have through Jesus that we need to continue to learn from Jesus how to love God and love others as he he did and the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us and in Romans 12 Paul calls on us to be living sacrifices in view of God's mercy to us that was really helpful because the relationship we have with God as Christians as as children of God as um, children of God we're also brothers and sisters with each other so really seeking to remember that that we weren't building community or or creating a youth ministry we were actually expressing what Christ has done for us on the cross when he he reconciled us to God and he reconciled us to each other those relationships are going to be really super important that when we hear the gospel we respond to the gospel and we're saved by the gospel and Jesus's work on the cross when we put our faith in Jesus and so we become adopted as children of God as Paul talks about in Ephesians that we're predestined and we are, are called uh, to put our faith in Jesus and then as we're reconciled to God through what Jesus has done for us on the cross we're also reconciled to each other so I think the really fundamental piece for me going into the 2000s was let's just as best as we can continue to express the reality that Christ is building the church and we are just expressing that unity we have in Christ and the challenge I suppose is how do we as we get older now I mean I'm talking into thousand i'm now uh what am i 32 years old now so i'm also going into a new era of my life i've now got a, a son ethan ethan was born in 1998 and then we we actually now see that you know what does it look like for me and louise as a family to be relating to other families who have also grown up through the 90s but to still be fresh enough to have relationships and express uh the 
the gospel with people who are younger than us too and older than us how do we continue to do that it was very exciting i can uh, tell i can tell how excited you were about it yeah, just so, as you're yeah, talking about it yeah well, so the real key piece like you said was relationships and um what god is doing through those relationships before we get into the principles that you kind of started to develop, what was what were the kind of ideas you were starting to think about those relationships and how you could institutionalize those and not institutionalize just the ideas? Yeah, well, that comes back to, to what you're saying about the shock absorber because there was um, some conferences that were starting up in Sydney in Anglican circles. Uh, there was um, different groups of people starting to get together to share their ideas and, and talk about it. And as we said on an earlier um, podcast there was a group of people that were really driving deeply into discipleship and in in the late 80s a book came out called no guts no glory and people who were adopting that sort of model were looking into how do we grow youth ministry as bible studies that meet before church on sunday afternoons and rather than meeting as big groups having games and events with each other on Friday afternoon, those people were looking at trying to find principles for discipleship and evangelism around a small group of people who were studying the Bible together. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, there were still people within our context that were having those big youth group meetings on Friday nights, not just within the Anglican Church, but in other denominations too. And we always felt that Soul Revival was a bit different, and we felt a bit of pressure to try and explain it because we weren't fitting neatly into one or two of those categories. And people are asking you that question they too, They were, right? yeah. They're saying, well, what is Soul Revival? Why do you meet on a Saturday night? And they, those questions were coming from within Guymer Anglican Church and outside of Guymer Anglican Church. And people at Guymer Anglican were saying things too, like, well, why are you guys, as you're getting older, still going to the Sunday night youth service when, you know, in our thinking, maybe isn't it time for you to come down to the morning service on at 9.30 where the young families are? Now, we wanted to be connected with the other young families in church and other generations in church, but we're also looking for ways to create that um, continuity for young people that as we continue to do youth ministry together, we were also growing old together and we were bringing up our kids together as well within the youth ministry as well as within the broader church because the problem we saw with the homogeneous unit principle was often when you move from one life uh stage to another sometimes you cut off relationships with the people you had in the earlier life stage and you make new relationships with the new people so we were quite optimistic thinking can we still make those new relationships in those new stages of life but still retain a connection with people who are younger with us as well so again there was a need to explain that and that's where the ideas of the shock absorber started to come up in fact in 2005 there i think it was about 2005 there was a youth works conference that um was organized and um we we were invited to to write a paper on soul revival and that's the first time i think i remember actually articulating the shock absorber as clearly as we have today when we started to say well there's something about young people and old people working together there's something about intergenerational ministry there's something about young people are flexible and as center had identified the sunday school was kind of a youth ministry that then influenced the broader church so how do we how do we actually look at what happens in a local church context and see if not necessarily revival is never going to be as big as the sunday school movement but in the guy anglican context how does soul revival experiments 
support and help the broader Guy Anglican Church. Uh, that was why we wrote the paper in about 2005. And did that help a lot, having to write that out? I think it was really interesting, yeah. I really I really enjoyed it because I sat down with one of the elders from Guy Anglican Church and we kind of looked at it together after I'd written some stuff. And I was able to take some stuff from my earlier research into my PhD and the centre stuff and, and really write down some things that were happening in soul revival and starting to look for and starting to see some principles emerging. Yeah, it's amazing how your thoughts start coming out a lot more articulate when you start putting them down on paper. Yeah. The next thing is you kind of formalize it, formalizing it. We want to, don't want to institutionalize relationships, mm. but you will need to formalize it and have some kind of structure yeah, around it. it. So you started to develop some principles around what the shock absorber meant. Do you want to run through those now, those three main ones? Yeah, well, basically the three main ones are theology, uh, what is your so yeah so but actually before I jump into that mm. um, basically we're trying to work out what's a framework for ministry and the shock absorber is a framework for ministry and it has these three categories it has theology so what is your the- theological foundation for your framework of ministry then what's the strategies that come from that theology so what are your broad strategies and then actually what is your practice on the ground from day to day and we articulate that now at Soul Revival to this day. We still we still talk about our theology and our strategy and our practice. So today we'll say Jesus changes everything is a good summary of our theology yep. because when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he changed human history and then he continues to change, uh, change history one life at a time as people respond in faith and, and repent of their sin and turn to Christ. Uh, he is... He's changing individuals and changing families and changing whole communities and even whole nations. And so Jesus is changing everything, is really helping us to remember that the cross is the climax of the gospel story, the Bible's uh, story from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, In Genesis, we see that God made the human race and that we fell, uh, we sinned against God, and then God began a rescue mission that climaxed in the cross where Jesus paid for our sin and took away the barrier between us and God, reconciling us to God and also to each other. And yeah. in the New Testament, we can see that the, the the results of the cross is being unpacked for us. Like, how do we live as a Jesus-shaped community in this now-not-yet tension before we spend eternity with uh, God in heaven, which is our beautiful hope that we've been given? Uh, as we live here on earth with the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, how do we actually live? And, you know, that's the theology that we really think through, like our biblical theology. Uh, we, we like to talk about ourselves as being Reformed evangelical Christians. And so that is our theological framework. Now, then we say, okay, as Reformed evangelical Christians living in the Sutherland Shire, where we live in Sydney, what are the strategies we can use to... Um, to express that reality that we're now reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Well, we've looked at strategies that we've inherited from the past, namely the homogeneous unit principle, which um, argues for getting groups of Christians into like groups. Homogeneous means same. So let's get our, our older people who like traditional services with the prayer book to gather together. Let's get young families to gather together and let's get teenagers to gather together at Guy Anglican Church. Well, there were benefits to that because there were benefits for people to access the gospel in a context they're used to. 
Uh, if they're young, they generally tend to hang out with other young people, for example, so that kind of works. But the downside of that for discipleship and mission is that it really narrows your discipleship scope and your missional scope. So Those really, boxes are you in? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose the 2000s were, let's look for a way of articulating this strategy of this intergenerational context that we're looking for. And we use the word the shock absorber to explain that it actually makes sense to create spaces and places for young and old to come together to form relationships with each other and to disciple each other across the generations, but also to mission towards each other across the generations. So in the early 2000s, we were becoming aware that the statistics were suggesting that 75% of people become Christians in Sydney in their either their childhoods or in their, their teenage years. So if 75% of the mission of the Anglican Church in Sydney was taking place to young people, that was exciting. But that meant that the majority of those people had unbelieving parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles. So where did they bring them to church? So the mission that they had was really only to people their age because it's a bit hard to ask your mum and dad to come to a youth service or ask your grandparents to come to a youth service. You could only ask your non-Christian friends to come to a youth service. But because of the homogeneous unit principle in the 90s, we were really in this model of young people mission to young people, older people mission to older people. But if 75% of people become Christians in their teenage years, they can't ask their family to church, then that to me seemed like a real restriction on mission. So what we were exploring was what if we create spaces where young people could ask their parents and their grandparents to come and and um, actually as we've started an all-age, all-stage church at Soul Revival, uh, which we'll get to in the next season, what we found is our mission has increased to adults because it's young people missioning to their parents and their grandparents yes. and giving them a place to come to church. We've definitely them. seen that happen. works yeah. really well. Yeah. So, I mean, I know with you and your family, like that's something that you've thought yeah, through a bit. Sometimes they, they sometimes they like to come, but the rest of my family are non-Christian. But I, I think you're right. You're creating... Currently, we're trying to create an environment where people are, who are non-Christians are actually okay to come and not be thrown off by being in a like a church with an organ and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So as, as we're exploring that stuff and we're writing it down, we're also uh, encouraged by our, you know, our, our senior minister at the time had moved on and we had a locum who came, Andrew Hudson, and Andrew encouraged us that it might be a good idea to write down like a youth work, you know, a youth ministry manual for our leaders. Yep. And so we also tried to write it up in that. Although one of the downsides of that was that when we'd written down some of these concepts, we found it really hard to express it relationally like we did when we just talked about it. So when we'd sit down with a new youth leader and say, look, we're, we're encouraging you to be a committed Christian who's really committed to their local church as well as uh, the worldwide church. But let's, uh, you know, we, we're a church amongst churches as well. And, you know, we'd really love to, to keep training you in godliness and helping you to grow as a Christian so that you can disciple others and mission to others. That sounded a lot more relational. But some of the problems we had in the the 2000s was all of a sudden we're starting to become these older adults who are in their 30s explaining to young adults and senior teenagers why we live the way we do and I think we lost a bit of uh, communication in that sense. I do remember it I was a youth leader at the time and I remember you trying really hard to discuss it and um, but 
there was a bit of backlash from it. How did yeah. you f- how did you feel about that? Yeah, well, I think I think it was also a generational change that I was witnessing. And again, that movie Ten Things I Hate About You was like that was almost like the last of the '90s vibe, and there was this new vibe. I remember right. thinking to myself, the world had changed when I saw Paris Hilton carrying a little dog around <laughs> in a handbag. I'm like, whoa, where where did Kurt Cobain go? Like, there's there's a big shift going on there. Yeah. So I think I think the shock absorber was helpful for us migrating from the 90s to the 2000s because even though as we explained to younger people that we were really committed to our church um, they sometimes didn't understand the context of that commitment and started saying well why are you committed to to a local church and so having to re-explain that to another generation was quite powerful and having some principles in place like local training with Berea where we had spaces to not only pass on our excitement but listen to their passion as well and that made Soul Revival uh, continue to grow and change through the 2000s. But there was a bit of conflict. Um, we had we had one meeting. We used to have a commitments meeting before Soul Revival every Saturday night. And at the commitments meeting, we always used to say, let's talk about whatever you want to talk about. Let's use this as a... Literally, it was a great place, space for the shock absorber to work because younger and older people could talk weekly about what it meant to be a Christian. Well, one week... Uh, two of the young ladies at the group actually said oh we've got a statement we'd like to read out to the group there's about 70 people coming to this commitments meeting at the time and there was probably about i don't know about a hundred and something people coming on saturday night so some some of the people who weren't the committed christians in the group weren't there but it was all just committed christians usually a really safe place to raise really hard things as well as good things but this particular day uh these young ladies said look we actually want to say that we think it's it's, it's not a good thing to be committed to other Christians. We should just be committed to Jesus. And that was quite a, um, a really hard night because basically these young ladies said, we really need to stop being talking about being committed to other people. And this idea of the commitments that you guys started in the 90s, we just don't like that idea at all. And after that night, we, we saw about, uh, I'm picking a number, but I think it was something like 70 people left our, our core group over that issue because they were saying no we're only committed to jesus you don't be committed to your local church of local christians as well and that led to a lot of soul searching and again it was part of that process of what are the principles here is the commitments a good idea anymore i mean we started the commitments to invite young people to share in leadership with us and actually give them more of a voice but this was a really strange and foreign thing for those of us that started the commitments to hear people having a problem with that because they felt like and i think looking back they felt like they hadn't owned that decision maybe to be committed to their local church and they may have felt that we were just expecting them to be committed and so it was good for us to hear that maybe we needed to start again and so we did and for two years we actually maybe it wasn't quite that long but for quite a long time we actually said let's not have commitments anymore because it doesn't sound like it's relevant anymore but interestingly after a couple of years of not having commitments we decided actually it is a good thing to to express the fact that we're reconciled to god and reconciled to each other and being committed to other christians in the local church doesn't say we're not committed to other Christians because of course we've got all these other healthy relationships with other people of different ages in our church and also outside of our church so that was a a really powerful moment but it was also really painful as well yeah did you find that hard was oh, it personally it was probably that it's probably one of the hardest times in my ministry also because yeah. it was in such a public way was that was hard to admit like had, had it been shared with you prior to that 
Well, I, I think, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about a young adult group. It wasn't teenagers that had come up. This was the young adult group, predominantly the youth leadership team. And really all they were doing was doing what I'd said. We, you know, I'd already given everybody the invitation to, to speak about problems as well as good things. So it, it wasn't hard from that point of view because I was actually quite humbled and excited that people could challenge our strategy uh, at such a fundamental level. And, and in a way, I suppose they're also bringing up questions of theology too. Like, is it is it right to be committed to Jesus and be committed to people in your local church? And I think it made us have a conversation about what is it to be Christian. And you know, I think again to reiterate that we are Christian because of our relationship with Jesus. But then we live in a Jesus-shaped community, and it's good to be working to disciple and be discipled in that context and to reach out in mission together that that was really helpful and and the real exciting thing was even though we went through that our theology as reformed evangelicals remained the same with our orthodox um, evangelical position theologically but it also really tested our strategy for a new generation because even after that event the people who remained within the core group of leadership of soul revival were very excited still about being free to opt in to be committed to that ministry and knew that they could opt out of that commitment at any time so they weren't sort of they didn't have to be in that and in a way the fact that 70 people did leave showed that there was permission to leave that commitment if they wanted to but it was an unusual word for people to hear i think because for us to say that individualism consumerism and transience had uh problems associated with those ideas when a lot of people didn't really think of the shadows of those things so while it's great to be an individual and it's really good to be free as an individual it's also a really good thing to be connected to other individuals and to work together Um, consumerism is the air we breathe in our society today like everything about us it seems to keep coming back to consumerism all the time and to actually think about being servant-hearted and to not necessarily be thinking of my needs first and to actually be thinking of what can I do in light of God's mercy to me to be a living sacrifice and, and to, to live an other person-centered existence. I think this is still an exciting experiment in the 2000s. And then also looking for ways of being free to you know leave Solis at any time or go to other places and and the fact that we sent out about 20 people into full-time ministry over the 20 years that we're in ministry was an exciting thing but there was lots of other people over that period of time that did move to other churches for ministry reasons and stuff like that but to also say we also want to try and fight transient so that Guy and Wranglican Church had some continuity as well you know this was the tightrope walk I suppose we were trying to walk that meant we wanted to write it down to try and helpfully express how the strategy could work and this intergenerational thing was brand new for people they they weren't used to making really strong relationships in the church between people of different generations so all that stuff was a great exciting challenge really and and I think it just made us stronger as we worked that stuff through with those two events that you've spoken of um, in terms of the, the backlash against the manual and also the the one you were talking about where people said in commitments, this is what we don't think we should be committed, mm. that actually happened before the manual. Yeah. But was that a, a, a clue to you that possibly um, you were becoming a little bit institutionalised? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And that's why I don't think they were... That I don't think they were 
were making me too discouraged because I thought this is necessary as a Jesus-shaped community that we sit under the authority of God's word and that we work out together how to it's live like that a, out. A growth moment. That I is, think so. This is what we need to yeah, change. I think to it was a growth moment. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, I Which think is again the shock absorber in action. Yeah, and I think when I was younger, when we first started, you know, we we were a generation that that did listen to Nirvana and we did listen to you know those those kind of cultural artifacts. And as we move into the two thousands, culture is changing. We had to rearticulate who we were in the context of that new context without losing our theological framework. But we, we, we had a few meetings in the 2000s, not just that one, but an, a, a few other ones after that too, where we kept saying, do we want to continue on with this strategy? Is this all age, all stage approach what we want to continue to do? But each co- time we had that conversation as a group of committed Christians, which we call the commitments, we kept reminding ourselves that we are committed Christians at Guyne Ranglican Church who want to learn how to love God and love others. So there's that learning aspect, that growing aspect that the shock absorber is about change and we built that change into our model so we didn't every time we started to become a bit institutionalized and be reliant on a principle from the 90s that we hadn't re-articulated we were challenged i suppose by young people to re-articulate it and then they had an opportunity again to go do we want to live that out with you and we gave permission for the young people to actually put all of our strategies under the microscope i suppose and as a result, I think the idea kept growing and getting a little bit stronger each time. Yeah, I think so. The that was a lot on strategy, of course. What about practice? Yeah, thanks. What, yeah. what did you What did you see as being important as the under the practice principle? Yeah, the practice of soul revival then flows from the theology and the strategy. Now, I think what happens a lot with Christians. This is just my observation. I don't know if I'm right with this, but I think a lot of Christians have a theology that they teach the Bible week week in week out and then they have a practice that they do in their local church that sometimes they don't know why that practice is there and they don't actually keep revisiting that practice but the thing i like about having a good strategy that's articulated while it can lead to a lot of debate about the strategies and that that's that that does take time and and energy but what it does is it keeps helping people to remember why are we doing things like we do for example when i was at guy Ranglican church we just when when I was finishing Sunday school, I was invited to go to the evening service, go to the youth service because I'd now become a teenager. But no one told me why teenagers moved to the evening service, and I had no idea why we did, and we just did what we did. Now that's not bad, but I think there's a lot of clarity for me now as I look back and go, oh, the strategy was that if I stayed as a teenager in the morning service. The strategy of the homogeneous unit principle was I might find it harder to mission to my friends who were young teenagers because they might not want to go to a service with families. But if I go to an evening service with just youth, that might make it easier for me to mission to other teenagers. And it also might make me, as a teenager, being discipled by my youth leaders. That might give me a better discipleship context. So what I think flows through is you've got your theology then your strategy which is sometimes expressed and sometimes not at soul revival we do talk about it and we call it the shock absorber strategy but then the practice whatever your strategy and theology is you're going to have discipleship and mission so i think i think the 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 way that i think about it is the discipleship and mission that takes place in a particular context can look differently in different contexts and so can the strategy, but it's good to have a, a good, solid idea of your theology 
and then be willing to adjust your strategy and then your practice can be really flexible and so how does what does discipleship look like week to week what does mission look like week to week well i love it that during the covid19 crisis that christians have just so quickly gone on to digital services i mean time will tell about how effective they are but i've been really excited seeing on tv on channel 7 on channel 9 in sydney uh, TV uh, news uh, on the ABC, which is another television news in Sydney, SBS, all of those TV news programs talked about the fact that Christians were now broadcasting their services. Especially they, over Easter. Yeah, and, and there's an example of flexible practice. Christians have a flexible practice. We, we do actually work out how to change as the culture changes and keep doing the theological imperatives that we have and doing it in new and different ways and a different strategy can help us to think that through a bit but basically the practice is just to ask yourself how am i doing discipleship how am i actually helping christians to grow how do i mature christians in christ using the bible and then mission is how do we as a christian community and as individual Christians, share our faith with other people who are, who are not Christians and, and share with them. Yeah, cool. And what were some particular practices that st- started to work or that you saw as being effective for you, or for Soul Revival? Yeah, well, I talked about the commitments practice. Yep. Uh, that was getting Christians together as a group to pray and have a talk before the meeting started for the night. Uh, that was a good practice. So... Uh, encouraging Christians to be members of a, a committed group where they could minister together and find what their spiritual giftedness was by serving and, and raising other people up. Uh, that was um, a really good practice, having people have service opportunities, I think, as an individual Christian. Uh, we call that um, helping committed Christians to to love and serve God and each other in the context of the local community. That was a good practice. Another practice that was really helpful was making sure that we as a youth group were connected up with the rest of our church and finding creative ways of continuing to do that. And I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast, we came up with practices like a Rello Bash where we'd have all the all the church invited to a dinner. And we call that a Rello Bash. Rello meaning relative, bash meaning party. That's an Aussie way of saying a relative's having a party. And so, yeah, having... So the first thing was giving individual christians an opportunity to express their faith in the context of the ministry by giving them service opportunities and then secondly having opportunities for them to be as a group of in our case younger christians connected up with older christians in the church but also being connected up with what we call the movement of churches around Uh, so having friends in tassie and south australia and having our aboriginal friends was all really helpful for that so um that meant that the local church was connected up as a church amongst churches. And then the fourth thing was we actually found the practice of making sure we had training running at the local church level and encouraging Christians to think about being trained at Bible college. We found that practice really helpful too. And, uh, that obviously spawned the, the creation of the Berea training program. Yeah, so the Berea training program would at once be a place where we would share our ideas and we would also give the young people in that group an opportunity to be in discipleship and mission with us. So they got to be a youth leader. They got to come to our chip lunch, which was at the school, to go and do mission at the school, which we found as a missional practice really helpful. Um, having having that training where we de-emphasised the expert, which meant that we shared 
um, some of our wisdom, but we also listen to the cultural knowledge of the young people in the course. And I think having that local church training where particularly people who've just left school would join that course for a year and just spend a year meeting for a couple of hours a week with a youth minister for a couple of hours a week in the context of a lounge room with a meal and just talk about life and ministry, theology, strategy and practice. And each generation would go through that. And I think because the world is changing so quickly, we, we don't just have generations that are 20 years apart anymore. I actually think my personal theory, which isn't tested, but I think generations are only about five years apart now. And that's why I think the shift from 2000 to Paris Hilton was such a massive one. You know, when, when um, you know, the Twin Towers fell in early 2000s, that was a, a real massive cultural moment. And then in 2008, when the iPhone comes along, that was another massive cultural moment. And there, that was only like five years apart. So I think generations growing up with different technologies, particularly since the iPhone, will have different ways of seeing the world and develop different values. And that makes passing on the ancient biblical values a challenge because in fact you can't get institutionalized you've got to continue to be relationally connected generation to generation to let that conversation to continue yeah, okay and that obviously that then leads into us we eventually started soul revival mm. church yep that's something that we can probably talk about in the coming episodes because that's probably when the next stage we're up to yeah i think so but i think we'll leave it there because that's been a really wide-ranging discussion and i really enjoyed that so thank you yeah, Stu. That, was, I enjoyed. <laughs> that was really really good um guys get in touch with us if you have any questions about what we're talking about today and um, you can get in touch with Stuart at Stuart at soulrevivalchurch.com He's also on Instagram and Twitter, as am I, which is at Joel McMaster. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you later. Thanks again, Stu. Thanks, Joel. See you, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Shock Absorber podcast. Uh, We really appreciate your support and being interested in listening to what we have to say as a model of ministry that we uh, like to practice here at Soul Revival Church. Now, if you would like to get in contact with us or have any questions around what we're doing or would like some help in trying to implement the kind of things that we're talking about, please get in touch. I'm Joel McMaster on Twitter and Instagram, and Stu is Stu Crawshaw on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also get Stu on email at stuart at soulrevivalchurch.com. Thanks very much.